Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and me, Mike Nicoletti. For the uninitiated, Telltales are tiny bits of string that sailors use to read the wind on their sails. Each week, we discuss Telltales that help us invest, namely the energy markets, macroeconomics, and technology. This week, we have a very special episode for you. Dylan Patel, author of Semi-Analysis, will be joining our crew to discuss China export restrictions, memory markets, and Micron. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. The host may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. Let's start, because we have a guest who's going to take up most of the 30 minutes, I'm going to hurry through oil and gas. A couple of interesting points. The price of LNG into Europe for immediate delivery is now down under $20. I think what's happened is the Europeans have filled up every bit of storage they possibly can. And so if you have a cargo of LNG now, you're looking for a home. The market, you know, you've heard me talk about backwardation where the future price is lower than the current price. The LNG market in, in delivered into Europe is in a pretty significant contango. In other words, under $20 today, but 45, 60 days from now, you know, back at $40. So uh, contangos do happen. I think there is a chance more than prior Wednesdays that there'll be a truce. Now, why do I think that? If you look at most of the newsfeed this morning, you'll see a picture of Putin shaking hands with Zaid, who is the president of the United Arab Emirates, also the head of the royal family. He's very important to anyone looking for a place to move to if you've been deposed, because people move to Dubai, which is part of the Emirates. And I can't imagine, he's a very serious person, I can't imagine why he was in St. Petersburg, except to try to intervene, to try to arrange some kind of a truce between Russia and the Ukraine. Hopefully, you'll have some success. What would that mean for oil and gas prices? Lower, lower. Hey, signs of a truce would be lower prices, even, you know, it'd be like a, you know, an immediate reaction. I don't know where they'd settle out longer, you know, in the intermediate term, but they would definitely be lower. Something to keep in mind to the extent that you're uh, pursuing your favorite oil stock or your favorite gas stock. All that led me to believe is why would Zaid, who is a very serious person, what is he doing in St. Petersburg? What is he doing shaking hands with Putin? So that, that's a, not much to go on, but something to be concerned about. The other thing to be concerned about, I guess, is that I didn't see the interview, Jamie Dimon, on MSNBC, but I did see the extended discussion between Jonathan Farrow and Mohammed Al-Aryan on uh, Bloomberg. Both of them are saying that we're within weeks, not months, of getting into the same kind of situation we had in the fall of 08, where Lehman failed and then thing, the wheels just came off. The point they're making is that the stress in currency markets 
because of the strong dollar, the central banks combined, you know, reducing their balance sheets, reducing liquidity in the system can have pretty severe consequences. In fact, the Fed governors who speak now talk about higher for longer, you know, getting to four or four and a half percent on the Fed funds rate and staying there. But there's a note of caution, you know, we'll have to continue to monitor capital market conditions. And we had the situation in the UK where the Bank of England was doing quantitative tightening, but all of a sudden the pension funds in, in the UK had been sold this product where you try to get a higher return by doing these arbitrage transactions. They all came out poorly and all these pension funds were having collateral calls and the Bank of England had to step in. So that, that was truly a mess. And they got a letter from the IMF which generally only happens to people who are, you know, misbehaving. There's a lot of stress and strain out there. On the other hand, the stock market's, you know, as low as it has been, and the kinds of companies that, I mean, energy companies are doing fine, but very, very much on the straight and narrow, not overspending cash flow, having uh, variable dividends, and having rather modest growth in, in production. But the rest of the market is really getting hammered. The question is how much extra value is there or how cheap might you be able to buy these things? And the company we're focusing on now is Micron and uh, Micron is memory. And the one we're going to do next week is Qualcomm. They're more, you know, chips for uh, cell phones. We'll get through chips in another week or two after that. And then we're probably going to migrate over towards all ways of communicating. I mean, cable and other solutions to download data, upload data, what have you. But but we've got a couple more weeks of chips. And with that, I hope I haven't used, I guess I've used about seven minutes and turn it over to Mike and Jason to explain what, why, why we're happy to have Dylan as a guest because of this new regulations to get licenses to ship things into China, what that means for the chip companies. Also, what that means for the company we're focused on this week, which is Micron. And I may interject with a couple of questions, but want to turn the rest of the half over over to Mike and Jason and Dylan. All right. Dylan's written some really good articles, including one that I sent to Hunt earlier last week on some of these export restrictions. Jason, you think we should start there and then we can dive into Micron because Micron is sort of tangentially sure. affected by that. Um, you'll remember that a few weeks back, we discussed the issues at NVIDIA and some of their revenue that was at risk due to specific product export restrictions that the U.S. government was putting in place. Since then, the government has taken a much more pointed approach and maybe more holistic approach to trying to figure out how to deal with export restrictions to China. You'll remember that a lot of this technology can find its way into military applications. And I think it's front and present right now as we watch what's happening in the war in Ukraine and different things like drones and different types of technologies that are being used there are making this concern seem much more clear and present. The high-level pieces that really stick in my mind from Dylan's article and, and some of this is that we've gone from 
instead of just focusing on, I believe it was sub 10 nanometer to focusing on mm -hmm. uh, sub 14 nanometer, right. but then also focusing on some of the specific ways of doing things like fin fets and gate all around specifically saying that any equipment that is capable of contributing to the manufacture of these things is now included under these restrictions or will require a license if you will yeah in my mind the restrictions have shifted from we're going to block a specific product or type of product to we're going to prevent or attempt to prevent China from manufacturing anything like that product. So the new restrictions are largely around if there's US IP involved in, in the product, you cannot sell it into China or sell any of the equipment used to make that kind of product. So in CPUs, logic chips, they're targeting 14 nanometer and below, which is a larger restriction than, than they had last month. On memory chips, it's 18 uh, nanometers and below. And then on flash memory specifically, you can get denser memory by stacking layers of the memory chip. So they're targeting 128 layers or above. Mike, do you want to get into Micron specifically and, and how they compare with the YMTC in China? Sure, yeah. So let's. So YMTC is interesting. They haven't publicly announced how many layers they're producing, but some of the analysis we got from Dylan actually shows that they are producing the densest flash memory available. So where that comes into play is YMTC is not a big player in the flash market. I want to pause here because Hunt might have some specific questions. And since Dylan's sort of the expert on this, I think he'll be far better equipped than Jason or I to answer them. Yeah. Dylan, good to make your acquaintance. Mike and Jason will be much better, but I'll lead off with a question that's pretty macro, I suppose, which is why not collaborate with China if they're the U.S.? I understand the potential use of some of this equipment in military hardware, and I understand that, that a lot of lessons have been learned by people who are in the military hardware business by what's going on in the Ukraine. But why not collaborate between the U.S. and China? What drives this this push to uh, license technology? And 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 I, I understand Huawei. They they thought that Huawei was, you know, controlled by the Chinese military. But what has caused this latest push? Do you think? Even beyond just military applications and government, right? You know, the the, the core issue is that you know the, the that U.S will lose technological superiority if nothing is done, right? If we've continued on status quo in, in, in an array of industries, and it already has, right, industrially in, in many areas, um, not just the U.S., but the West in general, and even, you know, countries like Japan, as, you know, China, China, you know, has a systematic way of conquering industries, and it's been very, very effective, right? I mean, you look at solar, all the way from the tool chains to, to actual panels, right? All the best research was being done in Germany and the U.S. And there were some, you know, very good solar panel, you know, manufacturing. It was a very nascent industry in, in the Germany, in Germany and the U.S. And there were equipment companies that were doing really well. And then all of a sudden, China, you know, decides from the top down, let's let's start investing like crazy. And so, you know, there's there's multiple firms like PVA Tepla and Centrotherm 
that ramp, for, you know, Centrotherm specifically ramped from $100 million revenue annually to $800 million, servicing the Chinese market in three years. And then all of a sudden they ramped back down to $100 million, even though the Chinese market kept growing because their equipment, they got hacked explicitly. Their equipment got, you know, stolen and disassembled and the hack let, that, let China, re, re, you know, get in, in that way, right? Same thing happened with another smaller niche semiconductor capital equipment company called Vico. Uh, their equipment is heavily used in the manufacture of LEDs. And they, they ramped like crazy in China and then they got hacked. Literally, like they will tell you, we got hacked. Yes, we were able to detect it, and they have no no way to push back on this, right? And their equipment got copied by a Chinese equipment company, which oddly wasn't on the sanctions list. But systematically, the government-sponsored corporate espionage, and and it's happened systematically in so many industries. And if nothing is done, then China will own, uh, you know, much of the semiconductor industry as well, slowly and surely. You know, you can even just look at their share of total semiconductors produced, right? It's gone from, you know, nothing to, you know, more than America. It's more than the U.S., right? And and none of the chips they make are sexy, but it's, you know, very common chips that are, you know, everywhere. Um, so, you know, systematically and slowly, they would they would conquer this industry as well. And, you know, you, you look at their imports and exports, really they import commodities and they export, you know, uh, a lot. And so I think the West, you know, generally is very threatened by that, right? I mean, you look at the Huawei ban, sure, you can say they were collaborating with Iran, sure, they were they were controlled by the People's Liberation Army, sure, whatever. But, you know, to me, the crux of the issue was China had higher than 50% share in 5G telecom. Actually, I, I, I'd expect if, they, if nothing had happened, they'd be at 60, 70% share in 5G telecom, uh, telecommunications network. And that is very, very scary from a from a Western perspective, right? And I think that is the main reason why, you know, you know, forget, you know, military applications, which are, you know, incredibly important, you know, as China tries to encroach on, you know, Taiwan and other Pacific islands and, you know, project their power outwards, right? Forget that. It's it's really, you know, economically what happens once once China is not really as dependent and, and we are more dependent. I mean, we, you know, the, on them than they are on us, right? And I think that's the core of the issue. There is no way yeah. to work together given the past history. I'm just curious, Dylan, would you extend that to batteries as well? Lithium ion batteries? Um, I think I think lithium ion batteries is a bit, you know, yes, they did. They did copy some stuff there, but they've also had some innovations there. I think more innovations than they've had in solar regarding, you know, technology, not just scaling the technology, which scaling the technology is a tremendously hard problem. I think batteries, you know, could could be extended, but it's not as as concentrated of an industry in China as, say, LEDs and solar panels are. So, I mean, yes, but not not nearly to the same extent. And I don't think it's nearly as bad, but, you know, batteries could go that way as well. If Samsung and LG didn't invest so much in battery technology and, and some of the Japanese firms as well. Right. And then, you know, some of these rules, right. And, and there was already a legislation that requires, you know, EVs to have certain amount of batteries materials produced in the U S or in NAFTA. Right. And so, so there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but you know, the, I, I, you know, I think batteries are maybe not as extreme of an example as, you know, the two that I gave. Yeah. And I just, in reading Micron's litigation section, I, I just was really amused because Micron operation in China was being sued by a Chinese memory manufacturer in a Chinese court for antitrust. And I think the commentary was it was only 1% of their revenues, but. Um, yes, yeah, so that, that was, the, that whole story is much more interesting. It's not about that 1% of revenue. It's, it's about the fact that China I, I don't know how to pronounce the company's name. It's Alpida. I'll just say Alpida, whatever. They're a company in Taiwan that did uh, DRAM. And, and, you know, as the industry consolidated, Micron purchased that company. And with that purchasing, as time went on, China started poaching people from that company. 
right, from sort of that subsidiary, which was fully integrated into Micron. And those people then started working in the Chinese uh, memory industry. And, you know, some of them actually stole data, right? You know, this is far for the course, but this is what happens. But you know, some of them physically stole data and then took it with them. And, and Micron was able to prove that in court. And so they, they tried to stop them, that company. And that company did get, you know, kind of shut down. But, you know, so what is, how does China retaliate? Well, they find some other way to legally hurt you, right? That's, that's, I think that's more what the story there is than, you know, oh, it's, you know, 0.5% of the revenue. It's really, you know, you, 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 you hurt us, we hurt you back. Right. Well, I've about exhausted the questions that I think are relevant without the technical background. So I'm going to turn it back over to Mike and Jason to uh, finish out the last 10 minutes. But thanks very much. Uh, we want to book you every Wednesday at 3.30 Eastern. But with that, turn it back to Mike and Jason. Sure. So one follow-up to that is clearly some of these sanctions were targeted towards YTMC. I guess it's fairly clear that they were implementing a strategy that might give China dominance over the flash memory market. Last year, I think YTMC was only 4 or 5% of total flash memory, but based on their investment trajectory, it looked like they were building to be something far more significant. Any other comments on kind of why they focused on that? Um, yeah, I mean, well, so, so one, it was probably the most leading edge company in, in China, right, in terms of technology they could produce. And so they were ramping like crazy. And, and I think the, the rationale for banning them is very obvious, which is stop any increase in, in that trajectory. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if they would have taken over the memory market. But they totally, you know, I certainly believe that, you know, if, if nothing had happened a decade from now, China would not import NAND. In fact, they would be exporting it for external use and they would have all their domestic consumption covered as well. Right. That's just what would have happened. You look at any other industry where that's kind of, you know, they caught up on tech and then they expended, expended like crazy and, and they were able to drive everyone else. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think the YMTC angle and, and, and it was one that the government sort of people in the in the in the in D.C. were sort of picking up on just because there was a lot of stories about them, uh, mine included, that, you know, showed that they were you know catching up and, you know, oh, they're in the iPhone now and you know so on and so forth. And so, you know, there's there's a lot there that that made them, you know, one of the targets I and mean, they're probably the biggest target in this, you know, unverified list. So they, they might be. YMTC might be one of the leaders in, in NAND technologically. Do you think some of these sanctions prevent them from expanding their, their manufacturing capacity? Is that what we're going after? They were planning a couple new fabs. Does that just slow them down in the near term? And does this do anything to their capabilities long term? So the, the, the LAM research etchers um, and deposition, but especially the etchers, they're unmatched in the world, right? In terms of speed, quality, everyone's NAND technology is based off of, you know, sort of Lamb's effort there. And, and Lamb has an incredible market share of, you know, NAND wafer fabrication equipment expenditure because they sort of pioneered a lot of the tooling there and they've, they've continuously improved it. And, and without, without Lamb research, right, it is going to be pretty much impossible for YMTC to continue to expand production, right? So not even just expand production, but what about servicing their existing tools? Like, you know, you know, LAM, I think, has, you know, a dozen or more people in Wuhan, China, who service these tools, you know, and they're going to fly these people out, according to the Reuters, right? They're flying them out already, right? You know, within the next two months, those people will be gone, um, and they're not going to service any of those, any of that equipment. Can, can YMTC even, you know, service the equipment and keep it running? 
Um, you know, so it's the question of not just, you know, or stops them from expanding capacity, but furthermore, right, can they even continue to optimize it and continue to run these processes that they already have? Hey, Dylan, I have a, I have a question that, that, again, gets back to my general background. What's, what's the impact on Apple of doing all this and Foxconn as their largest supplier in China? Will this have an impact on those two? Yeah, so I don't think this directly has an impact as far as the regulation impacts the company, right? You know, I don't think Apple has to even get many licenses. They'll have to get a few, but they're not any of the ones that are under, you know, sort of the sections of presumption of denial, which basically means the government's not going to give you the license unless you have a really good reason. So I think Apple will be fine, and I think Foxconn, for the most part, will be fine, right? They don't they don't operate in that high-end AI space. Um, they don't operate in, you know, advanced chip manufacturing. But at the same time, you know, what happened when, when Huawei was banned? Well, for a bit, Apple had a blip in their sales, right? Because, you know, the, there was sort of, you know, some tendency for people. And then it was like, oh, wait, who has who sells high-end phones? It's Huawei and, and Apple, right? So sort of Apple kind of resurged in China. But I think this time it'll be, you know, what is what is China's retaliation, right? And, and that's the that's the impactful thing to Apple. And, so, you know, potentially, you know, maybe, maybe not Foxconn, maybe Foxconn, yeah. It is, you know, we are no longer going to, you know, import some consumption goods but they've already kind of cut back on a lot of the u.s consumption goods already right um so that's that's not a good lever for them i mean they can do some stuff there but nothing crazy we're going to try and find second suppliers or or new suppliers for existing industrial inputs but again that's not such a big big impact i think the biggest impact will be chinese people will through the virtue of the media government sort of pushing you know a narrative you know, they will not buy iPhones anymore, you know, or at a much lower rate. They'll not go to Starbucks anymore at a much, or at a much lower rate, right? Like, you know, there's these American companies that do operate in, in China that do so successfully that probably will be impacted hugely because, you know, that is what the media will sort of push onto the people. And honestly, why should they buy iPhones if, if they're not allowed to access U.S. technology? Why would they buy uh, U.S. consumption technology, right? Hmm. Mike and I have developed kind of a, a possible theory to explain COVID lockdowns, this push by the U.S. government, and the kind of lack of substantial response. I guess they're in their party Congress, so you'd expect a response later. Do you think it's possible that in in your in your ruminations about China? that old policy where they wanted to grow their GNP five, six, seven percent real per year because that kept people happy and fully employed. Is the Chinese Communist Party reverting to where less growth and more control is their priority? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks who study this much more closely and, and you know, sort of you know, some of them, and, and the most compelling argument I've heard is, you know, the sort of capital flight argument, right? Which is a lot of folks spending uh, capital externally, spending it externally, and, and the Chinese government sort of didn't see it as, you know, valuable for them. So why, why let people go out and do tourism? Why let people go out and, and buy homes um, and live in them, you know, in foreign countries? It doesn't help China in any way, right? Is I think maybe their view and lens. And, and so sort of uh, their capital goods is it surplus, I think it's called keeping that high is probably really important to them. It's important to their economy. And so that's, that's, a, that's something that, you know, could potentially be part of it as well, right? Why they've continued to lock down. 
sports, you know, you, you know, you can't, you can't say that you were wrong at any point now, right? You know, if you've if you attach yourself to zero COVID, you can't really back away from it now. So it's a couple, it's probably a couple of different things, but I think I think that's a big part of it. Yep. Hey, Jason, we haven't heard from you. Mike and I have been and Bill have been monopolizing the airwaves. Let's 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 give the last four or five minutes to uh, Jason. Sure. Uh, I guess I'll rope it back to Micron a bit. We've been talking a lot about NAND, which is flash memory. That only makes up a quarter of Micron's revenue. They're really more of a DRAM producer. That is the rest of their revenue. So I kind of want to ask Dylan his thoughts on, on DRAM, the DRAM market. Um, it seemed like prices of DRAM is down about 20% when historically it's had drops of, of over over 50%. Where do you kind of see that going in the near term? Sure, yeah. Um, so to continue to monopolize the, the airwaves, right? I mean, DRAM is, is, you know, like you mentioned, you know, something like three quarters of Micron's revenue, but as far as earnings, you know, it's probably even, you know, upwards of 90% of their free cash flow, right? Um, it's, 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 you know, it's in a huge, it's, it's, Micron is a DRAM company, it just happens to have NAND. And I and I mentioned in my uh, flash memory update for this year uh, that report, right, which went through everybody's NAND flash technology and you know potential Western Digital trying to sell there and who they and how much Micron offered and such things like that, right? I mentioned that Micron, if they sold their NAND business, I don't necessarily even think investors would care. You know, maybe maybe for a few for a little bit they'd be like, what the heck? But then after a little bit they'd be like, actually this is good because NAND is. You know, not that not that great of a free cash flow business, right? With YMTC gone, you know that changes things hugely, right? You know, you know, I I, I mentioned that I thought Nand was you know a terminal negative five percent free cash flow margin business. If you wanted to maintain share, simply due to YMTC and what they were going to do to the market. So if you wanted to maintain share, you're spending more money than you are you know getting from it, essentially, right? And so with YMTC out of the picture, you know that improves things massively, right? You go from this producer who went from zero percent to five percent and and just a few years and, and, and they were probably going to get to 10% and a few more, right. Or less, right. You know, to all of a sudden now that that producer is going to be, you know, gone from the market and everybody else is going to be much more rational in their spending, you know, and there's more consolidation. So NAND memory market slowly starts to look more like the PRM market. Maybe, maybe not entirely because it's still quite fragmented and it's a, it's a more, it's a technology that's still improving rapidly. So there's more space for companies to outcompete each other on cost structure, whereas DRAM is, you know, slower pace, but, yeah, that's sort of my take on it. Great. And I guess, you know, Micron's been guiding down their CapEx. They said they're going to reduce CapEx 30% next year. And that's kind of in conflict with a lot of things they've said about investment in New York and in Idaho. They're building a new fab currently in Idaho. They're going to spend $15 billion there. And they just announced they're going to spend up to $100 billion in upstate New York with phase one being a $20 billion fab. So it's just interesting that they're... Their primary business is is weakening. They say they're going to cut capex, but they have this huge investment coming in the future. So, so I mean, if you if you looked at if you listen to their comments, you know, very closely, they they talked about how they were going to cut equipment capex, but they were going to continue to build the fabs themselves. Um, which is, you know, I think that's also what Intel has sort of said and Samsung has said in regards to their, you know, policies of trying to grow market share, right? Um, they're going to build the fabs and then they'll, you know, they'll be agile with the equipment, right? Equipment has a lead time of much, you know, 
six months or, you know, before COVID, it was, you know, less than six months for most equipment, right? So that that's sort of the strategy, I think, is, you know, let's continue to build the fab, right? We're not going to, we're not going to pretend like this, you know, recession that we're, you know, in right now, right, is going to, you know, permanently impair the market, right? We'll continue to build the fabs and then, you know, as the demand comes online, then we can flex our muscle on the, on the memory, on the actual equipment, you know, and be agile in that way. Right. So we're responding to the market, but we're also not tanking our potential future. Mm-hmm. Right. We've run over Dylan at any time, Mike and Jason can uh, lure you back. Uh, we'd love to have some more commentary from you and let us know if we can do any favors for you in return. And with that, everyone stay healthy and uh, we'll be on next Wednesday. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.